to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Here come the Astros, burning with desire. Here come the Astros, breathing orange fire. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this one, we celebrate one of the great runs in Major League history. Your Houston Astros. You heard the music off the top. You know what's going on, and we love it. Later in the show, the Texans once again remind us how well, they're the exact opposite of the Astros. But before we fire this one up, a reminder that we're brought to you by BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. Not only is BetUS the place to bet on all your favorite sports, but later I'll give you an exclusive discount, which will save you money and support our show. Before we get there, let me bring in my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, the Astros are in the World Series again, third time in five years. But this is what we do. Uh, what ifs, uh, what ifs. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Did you say the Astros are in the World Series? I, was, I, was, I think I slept. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it, it's just you you nod off because it's like, well, this is boring. We just keep going back. No, let me tell you something, Robert. When I was growing up following the Astros, I kept asking every year, when are the Astros going to make the World Series? And as I got older, I kept asking, am I going to be alive when the Astros finally make the World Series? Listen, this isn't old for me. I don't know about you, Robert, but <laughs> oh yeah, I was celebrating Friday night as long as I possibly could. It, it isn't getting old for me yet, uh, let me tell you. I was 34 years old when the Astros made their first World Series. If you are a 21-year-old Astros fan, you've seen the Astros in the World Series now four times. Mm, four times. That sounds great. And, uh, yeah, they've, they've won one, lost two. So, you know, we're going to see what happens with this one, obviously. But at least they won the one. You know, you don't want them to be like the Buffalo Bills or the Minnesota Vikings where you just keep going and going and going and you keep losing. So, yeah, but the fact that they're in there again, you know, third time in five years, man, oh, nothing beats that feeling, especially with the way the other sports in Houston are going. <clears throat> what is Justin Verlander and Lance McCullers in Spanish, Stephen? That's my trivia question for you. What is Justin Verlander and Lance McCullers in Spanish? Uh, no pitch. <laughs> Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia. That's the answer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Framber Valdez, Luis Garcia. Talk about a deadly combo in those last two games, Robert. Man, you know, Framber, we, we kept waiting for him to be the Framber that we saw last year. And Luis Garcia certainly had, you know, a, a good rookie season through the regular season. But you could kind of tell as time went along, he was slowing down a bit. He isn't used to pitching this many innings. But, man, did they both put together some, a, a couple of great games to put us through. Yeah, that, that's a great way to put it. Justin Verlander, Lance McCullers in Spanish. Yeah, we can say Framber Luis. Wow, and you talk about clutch when you talk about the Rockets and those 94-95 teams. But this Astros team scored 27 runs with two outs in the ALCS. 27 runs. That's the most runs ever scored with two outs in a single postseason series. And, oh, Stephen, the second-place team is the 2004 Houston Astros with 24. <laughs> and they didn't even go to the World Series. They almost did. They almost got there. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. And, you know, I think one of the keys to that, Robert, is for the most part, the Astros, they're, they're making good contact with the ball. They're not striking out 
a whole lot. And, you know, the more you make contact, the more the chance that something is going to break your way, something's going to happen, you know. So with two outs, and but I also think it's just the mentality this team has. They, they're they seasoned, you know, they've been here before. Yeah, you've got some young guys, you know. Of course, Chaz McCormick won, you know, Kyle Tucker, guys like that that are coming up, Jordan. But for the most part, this team is seasoned. They've been here before numerous times, so... There, there's very little that surprises and very little that they haven't seen. So I think the mentality, along with the fact that they're just playing good fundamental offensive baseball and getting contact, that those are your keys. I spoke on the podcast a few times that I didn't feel like we had seen the locked-in Jordan Alvarez that we saw a couple of years ago. He never had that run in the regular season where you just thought he was carrying the team like he did a couple of times a couple of years ago. But... Jordan had seven hits over the final two games of the ALCS. The entire Red Sox team had five. He's the first human ever to outhit the entire opposing team over the final two games of any series in Major League Baseball postseason history. His batting average in the ALCS, 522, the highest batting average by any player in ALCS history. And it's this when I say, thank you, Josh Fields for all you sacrificed to help the Astros get to the World Series. Yeah, we sh- we definitely can be thanking the Dodgers, too, for all that's going on with that. Um, you know, I, I, by most players' standards, Robert, most players would love to have a season that Jordan Alvarez had. But you're right. We kept waiting for him to put it into overdrive. Well, let me tell you, he couldn't have picked a better time than the ALCS to do that. Keeps it up in the World Series, man. This guy is something else. He just... I never get tired. I mean, I never get tired of the Astros in the World Series. Well, I never get tired of watching Alvarez bat. Fromber, Luis, Jordan, those are the names that were the big names of the last few games of the series. But a couple of heroes worth mentioning in Game 6. Ryan Stanek throws a perfectly pitched eighth inning. And speaking of perfect pitches, or perfect throws in this case, Martin Maldonado, the laser to second on the strike him out throw him out double play, was as good as as it gets. Oh, baby, was it? And, and you know, I, I mean, Alex Cora has been known to be aggressive, obviously, in the playoffs. We, we've seen it time and time again. But I'm really surprised that he sent the runner, you know, especially with two strikes and knowing the kind of arm that Maldonado has. Well, fortunately for the Astros, he sent him. <laughs> and I think on the on the pitch before that, it was fouled, I believe, and he had to come back. But he sent him again. And then you got the strikeout, throw him out, double play. Man, what a play. That I mean, you talk about a game changer. That was it for sure. And the machete lived up to his name. Just got to show this guy some love because I don't think we talk about him enough on the show. He is the answer to this question now. Which Astros catcher has led the team to the most World Series appearances? And Steven, let me just tell you that Brad Osmus, he has a longer tenure. Alan Ashby had a longer tenure. But the most memorable Astros catcher now in history is Martin Maldonado, no question. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is that it's not all been one long time with the Astros. He's been here several times. You know, I think Osmus was with the Astros a couple of different times too. But, right. you know, you, you can't say enough about Maldonado, those intangibles. We talk about it a lot. Yeah, I know he's not a good hitter, but you've got to have him in the lineup. You, you've just got – I, I think it was – I'm trying to remember who tweeted this out, uh, I think, that you know after that play was made. Uh, but they said, 
I don't care if Martin Maldonado never gets another hit. <laughs> I want to say it was, oh, it was Matt Thomas of Sports Talk 790 who said that, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's the sentiment that you have with Martin Maldonado because when he makes plays like that, it changes the course of a game. It, it certainly has the potential to. It's it's those things in there and the way he handles the pitching staff. So, yeah, you got to have him in your lineup. You've got plenty of other offense that can pick up the slack. It's the tough thing about catchers, Stephen. You and I have no idea the effect that they're having on the pitching staff. We don't know. We can't do that with an eyeball test. You only know if you're in that locker room, if you're on the field during the game, if you talk to the pitchers, and and that's what he does. Yeah, it's not something that you're going to readily see, and you may even take it for granted in some cases or just kind of shrug it off. And you know what's interesting too, Robert, is Martin Maldonado's obviously got a lot of durability because he played most of the games in the regular season. Uh, you know, and, and most of the time you try to rest your catcher as much as possible. But man, he he's just got that iron body that's just going to be able to stand up to all that. He's just looking as fresh as if this was, you know, the first or the middle part of the season. Well, another thing that I was thinking about uh, besides the Martin Maldonado angle when I was watching this game is. If you think about it, this World Series run is like an Astros revenge tour. And I saw Patrick Creighton treat it out, but trust me, this was already in my notes for this show, Stephen, because this is the Astros revenge tour. They vanquished the White Sox, who swept them in the 2005 World Series. They vanquished the Red Sox, who kept them from the 2018 World Series with whatever they were doing, which, hey, cheaters. But anyway, (laughs) and maybe they even the score with the Braves, who beat them three times between 97 and 01, who they beat in 04 and 05. This last one, though, would even it up and beating them in a World Series. Stephen, that's a tiebreaker, right? You beat them in a World Series in, in a 3-3, that's a tiebreaker. Hey, that you, bet, you better believe that's a tiebreaker because uh, winning the World Series, it, it trumps every bit of that, Robert. And yeah, it's always interesting to look at those kind of storylines of, you know, and you go back so many years and so many heartbreaks that the Astros have had and some of those have been to the Braves. And then, you know, more recently, you know, 2019 with the Red Sox and, you know, the, the White Sox in 2005, as you mentioned. So, you know, a lot of those players aren't playing anymore, but from the team standpoint and just, you know, certainly from a fan standpoint, yeah, it feels really sweet. And what would be sweeter is you face the Braves in the playoffs and you vanquish them and win the World Series, not only for your second championship, but there's another team that you knocked off. Some Really goosebump type stories, too, when you look at the World Series. Number one, Charlie Morton, likely, not likely, he has been named the opening starter for the Braves in the World Series. So you've got that. We know what Charlie Morton did when he was with the World Series, in the World Series with the Mm -hmm. Astros. But even better than that, Braves manager Brian Snitker, whose son Tony is the Astros hitting coach. So there's that story, too. But Snitker was originally hired in the Braves organization by Hank Aaron. He faces Dusty Baker, whose mentor was Hank Aaron, and who Dusty mentions all the time when he talks about this year and what's going on. So the guy Hank Aaron hired faces the guy he mentored and the guy who was on deck when Babe Ruth broke the all-time home run record some 47 years ago. This is all happening in the year we lost Hank Aaron. How zen is that? Man, yeah, that is zen. And, and that just goes to show you, Hank Aaron was more than just the home run king. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Barry Bonds, but Hank Aaron, in my mind, is still the home run king. You know, he had an eye for talent. He absolutely did. 
And not just from a player standpoint, but he knew what those players could do after they quit playing. So yeah, that's very interesting. And gosh, we miss Hank Aaron and just his contributions to the game. But he, you know, even when he died earlier this year, those things that he contributed are still living on, obviously in this world series. We knew that it was going to be the Astros playing either the Dodgers or the Braves after Friday night. And that's fascinating because Dusty played with the Braves from age 19 to 26. Then he was traded to the Dodgers, played there the next eight years. And Dusty said he feels like he's getting whispers during the postseason from some of the legendary players who've recently passed. Besides Hank Aaron, he mentioned Jimmy Wynn. And remember, Stephen, when Dusty was traded from the Braves to the Dodgers, the toy cannon was one of the players he was dealt for. Yep, that's right. That's exactly right. And, you know, he Dusty Baker was drafted by the Braves in 1967 in the 26th round, Robert. I mean, there was a guy that, you know, he wasn't highly touted, but the Braves, they drafted him in one of the later rounds and he came in and, you know, the rest is history. So, yeah, whether he'd be facing the Dodgers or the Braves, he, he'd be facing one of his former teams. That, that's a pretty interesting storyline. I was thinking about this, too, late in that game against uh, the Red Sox. You know, he wasn't really sitting comfortably with that 5 nothing lead Friday night because Dusty, remember, in 2002, as Giants led the World Series against the Angels, three games to two, the Giants had a 5 to nothing lead. Okay, it was only the seventh inning this time, but it was game six. The Angels scored six runs in the seventh and eighth innings combined to win the game. So Dusty, he doesn't sit easily in these game sixes, especially uh, late, late in postseasons. Well, I can't say blame him, especially with the way some of the other postseason games, you know, with other teams have gone. You know, you've seen the Dodgers come back on the Braves a, a couple of different times. And, and of course, as much heartbreak as we've had in Houston, Robert, that that's kind of how I feel. You know, I, and I even felt five to nothing in the ninth inning. I still was like, all right, let's just get this over with, you know, set them down. But get down to business, put them out right now. Don't let them back in. So, yeah, I, I kind of know where Dusty's coming from on that. We've given him a lot of heck over the last couple of years about this move and that move. You do that. It's a manager in baseball, and sometimes you feel like you know more. But the Astros, you know, they've got some great numbers, some great people behind the scenes doing work. It's not just Dusty making all these decisions. I was talking about it with Greg Lucas the other night, and, you know, we were just discussing Dusty and you know, you got to give the guy, you got to give him some props, Stephen, because look, what he's done the last couple of years in the situation that he's been given with COVID and everything going on, and yet, yet another team that he's taking to a, a playoffs and, and now a World Series. This is somebody that's a really special human being who just, I don't know if he ever has gotten the credit because of a lot of maybe bad luck in the postseason, if we're going to be honest about it. Oh, I absolutely think so. And listen, Robert, I, I've been pulling for Dusty ever since he came here. I mean, I think Dusty's a great guy. And when you talk about who the Astros needed to hire to come in in the middle of such a messy situation that they had, I mean, everything was in shambles after the cheating scandal. Dusty Baker has brought this team back from that. You know, maybe not single-handedly, but pretty darn close. Just with, with his attitude and just, you know, his baseball instincts. And yeah, I know he's very old school. You and I talk about that a lot. We don't always like it. But look, the guy's a winner. He was a winner as a player. 
He's been a winner as a manager. And I'll tell you right now, yes, I'm pulling for the Astros to win the World Series because they're the Astros, but I'm pulling for them to win the World Series for Dusty Baker. Because if anybody deserves it, that, you know, both, especially when he's had such difficulty doing it as a manager, it's Dusty Baker. And, and I'm telling you, I, I'm definitely hoping especially for his sake, that they do win the World Series for him. And I thought it wasn't great when Jim Crane was asked about Dusty in the postgame celebration, and he just kind of said, well, we'll see, you know, blah, blah, blah. He was kind of real, not even sure about well, bringing back. It sounded like he wasn't even sure he wanted to bring back Dusty the next year. I mean, he's just, come on, Jim. You know, at that moment, just give him some love a little bit. Come on. Well, I think it, you know, it, it depends on both sides. And I'll tell you what, if I were Dusty Baker and I'm not, so I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I'm in his head and I say, but, and, and this sounds silly, but if I were Dusty Baker, if the Astros won the World Series, I'd stop. I'd go out on top. That's, that's what I would do. Now, now was Dusty going to do that? Now he may want to come back for one more year if the Astros want him back. Yeah, they asked him about it after the game and he said, well, what about what you're going to do at the end of the year and et cetera, et cetera. And he said, well, I want to win this one and I want to win again. And again, he sounds like he is nowhere near retirement. And with Dusty, you know, I, I don't know what else he, he would like to do. I just think he loves doing this too much. Oh, absolutely. And look, once it gets in your blood, it's hard to get it out. And, uh, you know, that's probably going to be the case for Dusty Baker. As far as Jim Crane, I mean, he's not going to commit to saying anything. He's going to play the politician with it. Both sides have to get together and talk about it, you know, agree on terms and that. So he's, he's not going to tip his hand, certainly not at this juncture. Yeah. It felt like he was negotiating when it's just like, come on, man, you're, you're talking in the post game with the guys that broadcast right after you win the American league championship series. Look, you just say, Hey, we love dusty. Uh, we've loved him. You know, just make it a real positive thing. And he just was very, non-committal could barely muster up a smile at, in the post game it was real weird too that that's jim well, crane. He, he's like a robot yeah i was gonna say that's jim honestly that is jim crane's personality you know he he's not he, he's not a drayton mclean you know he's he's not uh, i know he's not an owner but i'm just you know trying to think of people like, like mattress mac for instance he's just not that type of personality kind of guy he's not going to give you much at all he's going to be very non-committal very serious. So that that's just who Jim Crane is. I was so excited after the Dodgers won because I thought, well, the Astros, they get home field advantage now. We start game one in Houston. And then Brian McTaggart tweeted out the Astros in nine World Series appear or nine World Series games, three World Series appearances at home are two and seven. <laughs> They're two and seven. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Appreciate that. And and not only that, you know, if Charlie Morton going in that game, I mean the Astros uh, I really don't like them facing Charlie Morton because remember he he beat them with Tampa Bay last year. He's had success against his old team. I'll tell you what I don't want, Robert. I don't want a game seven scenario if Charlie Morton's going to pitch. Uh, it doesn't look like that would be the case though. I guess if he's pitching the opening game, but you know my biggest fear before this series is please don't let it be the seventh game. Charlie Morton pitches and he ends up beating his former team. I don't want that. <laughs> but yeah, game one uh, it's. History's not on the Astros' side, but, you know, it, it wasn't on their side in game fives the other day. I think I mentioned this, Robert. I think they were like, you know, two and six or something like that, and they won game five. So maybe they can overcome history again this time. We'll try to be positive about that. What else are you thinking about? Anything that we missed from the last series, anything that you're thinking about in terms of the Braves and what you've seen with them and the Dodgers? Well, you know, the Braves have made some trade deadline acquisitions that really helped them. Of course, they lost Ronald Acuna Jr. 
earlier in the season, you know, you're not going to see him at all for the rest of the season. So, you know, they went out, got Eddie Rosario and uh, several others. And, you know, Max Fried and Charlie Morton, they're they're definitely the, the aces of the staff, but they're not unbeatable. I mean, you know, Max Fried against the Dodgers in that uh, game uh, five, he looked in, invincible in the first inning. He was pitching in Dodger Stadium, you know, for I think he bought 68 tickets, looked like he was rolling, and then the Dodgers got to him. So I just think, you know, if the Astros continue to play their game on offense, they've proved they can handle good pitching. And I think that, you know, that will be the case in this series. So, yeah, I'm just excited about it. Um, I'm glad they have the home field advantage, although you and I both know, Robert, it doesn't matter. Just remember 2019. So you can't get too comfortable. Yeah, it would have been nice to play the Dodgers and, you know, all the, the way the Dodgers have been mouthing off. Uh, we wouldn't have faced Joe Kelly. Cry, cry, uh, if that had been the case. Oh. Yeah, too bad because he's hurt. So, but the fact is, the Astros are in the World Series. It's exciting. And that's really all that matters at the end of the day. So I just can't wait to get this going. The Red Sox bullpen, very shaky. This Braves bullpen's kind of for real, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is for real. But as I said, you know, the Astros have proven, uh, you know, even against some of the better bullpen pitchers, that when they're patient, when they just play their game on offense and make the pitcher work, they can beat good pitching. So, yeah, the Braves bullpen is going to be tough. It's, it's, you know, but look, the Astros bullpen has come through in this series too. So who's to say that the Braves bullpen will continue to be as good? I mean, it just, these things go back and forth, especially in the postseason, depending on what team you're playing. So there's just no telling how this thing's going to turn, especially with the pitching. So what's the most likely outcome for the World Series? Well, our friends at BetUS.com say the most likely outcome is Astros in six. That's what I was predicting. That That's exactly what I was picking. And I didn't look at that, Robert. So <laughs> They have them at plus 375, or that scenario is plus 375. If you believe in an Astros sweep, it's plus 1,100. So if you're real confident and real up on the Astros, Stephen, I was going to ask you what you're predicting, but you you're go, you think 4-2. That's, that's what you're going with. Yeah, I'm going for it too in this one. And you know, I don't think we actually made our picks publicly for the Red Sox series. I actually picked the Red Sox to win in seven, Robert, so I'm glad I was wrong. But I hope I'm right this time, the Astros in six. I hope you're right too. And if you want to go make that bet or you want to make any bet on this World Series or the NFL or college football for that matter, go to our friends at BetUS because you might as well use a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. It's BetUS.com. That's where you want to go. And it's not just football. They take action on any sport. Uh, like we said, they've been doing this for three decades. A pioneer in the sportsbook industry, a diehard customer fan base, an easy-to-use mobile platform. And if you don't want to use the mobile platform, just go to BetUS.com, log in there, or call 800-792-3887, 800-79-BETUS. Easy to remember. And we can save you money when you sign up. Just use our promo code HST125 to redeem a 125% sign-up bonus on your initial $100 deposit. Again, that code is HST125. And to help our podcast, sign up using either the BetUS link on our pinned post at the top of our Twitter page, or much easier than that, just go to our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net, click on the BetUS link. Get your online and social betting partner with Integrity and longevity like I did. Bet US. You bet, you win, you get paid. You know, the Texans, what, what was the line, Robert? It was 18, 19? It was 18, and then it went up to 20 by game time. So uh, the Texans certainly not in danger of covering this time. Uh, so, yeah, if you uh, bet 
in that, you definitely want some money. And Robert, I'll tell you what, it just gets uglier and uglier for the Texans. And all you have to do is look at the numbers. You know, they have not scored a touchdown on the road, on the road, mind you, since Cleveland. That was the second game of the season, Robert. And we're what, not quite halfway through the season, but pretty darn close. And in their last three road games, they've been outscored 102 to 8. Have the Rockets ever won a game by that margin, 102 to 8? Oh, I don't remember a 102 to 8 score, but there, there's been some 50-point blowouts in Rockets history. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you look at the Texans, it, it's all about their offense at this point on the road. They, they just can't get anything going. It's pathetic. Davis Mills is probably just 50% of the problem or even less than that. He was 23 of 32 in this game, 135 yards, uh, 79.6 rating. The 23 of 32 doesn't tell the story, though, because they're all short passes. The average you know, play was 4.2 yards. So, yeah, it, 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 what doesn't tell the story either is, Stephen, they just shoot themselves in the foot on offense, possession after possession after possession. Yeah, that, that sums it up very nicely. And the, the, the penalties, oh, my goodness, they just keep killing you. And, you know, you, you just uh, good teams just don't do that, Robert. Great teams don't do that. The Texans are not a good team, and they're not a great team. And look, Davis Mills has still has a lot of work to do, but it's awfully hard to pin all this on him when you've got an offensive line that is just not being effective, and they're making a lot of those mistakes. And I don't know if you noticed, you know, but in the second half, and I didn't see how long it lasted, but, you know, Justin McRae came in for Max Sharping in the second half. You know, he's one that has certainly been struggling on the line. Jerron Christian Sr. got a couple of penalties. I mean, it's just, you know, mix and match. It doesn't matter what you do. This Texans offensive line stinks. Max Sharping is not going to be a Texan next year. I'm going to say that right now. Well, you may very well be right, because as I said, he was replaced in the second half with Justin McRae. But, I, you know, th this is just going to be a continuing problem. Now, I think, you know, if Tyron Taylor does come back and if he's healthy, I do think he will make a difference, because he certainly did at the beginning of the season. But... You know, even Tyler Taylor is not going to make the Texans a playoff team with, with the offensive line the way it is. My goodness. The one thing that Tyrod Taylor can do is make the off-schedule play, and if you get down to second and third and long, he might be able to come up with a big play, so maybe they get that. But let's just go through the possessions again, and, and we're going to do this pretty quickly because it's depressing to, to get it at a Texans possessions these days. But uh, we like to do it just to see what's going on with this team, where things are going wrong. It's one of my favorite things to kind of give you a feeling of what where they are right now. And the first possession on defense, two first downs and a punt. Malik Collins had a big sack to shut down the drive. Malik Collins with another big sack later in the game. And, he, and they gave him a penalty on a personal foul that I thought just wasn't fair. That was a bit questionable. Yeah, the quarterback lose, moves at the last second. And what are you supposed to do? Yeah, he was ducking. Kyler Murray was ducking. I, I felt like that was a bit questionable. Certainly a question. And look, I, I know you want to protect the quarterback. But sometimes I think they just get a little whistle happy with some of those calls. And that was definitely one of them. Uh, the next possession offensively for the Texans, their first possession, three and out. Mills got sacked after a delay of game penalty on third and seven, looking like the rookie quarterback that he is. Defensive possession after that, three and out. Amenahu caused havoc, which led to a Walker sack. And gosh almighty, just leave Amenahu out there. I'm tired of the Texans telling me that these guys aren't doing enough in practice when they're the only guys that do anything during the games. Who cares about practice? DeAndre Hopkins 
He doesn't have to show up if he's going to be the best wide receiver in the NFL. I don't care if they're getting the job done anymore. I just don't care. Yeah, I don't understand that. And uh, yeah, you know, some players just aren't good practice players. But if you know what they do on the field when the game is on, then uh, yeah, I I definitely want to see more of a Manahue. We had big things for him coming into the season. So, you know, at this point in the the game, why not put him out there at, at this point in the season? You know, in that possession, Robert, it's too bad that the Texans couldn't recover that bad snap because the Cardinals had to snap over Kyler Murray's head. You know, they still got the three and out, of course, but another turnover. Well, I don't know if it would have made the difference in the game, but it would have looked nice anyway. Yeah, the, the Texans' second offensive possession, it was a punt in midfield. Jordan Akins, where have you heard this before, with a terrible penalty on a chop block, shuts down the drive. Maybe it was questionable, but it's Jordan Akins with another penalty. So, you know, I just figure it's probably Jordan Akins' fault. And then on defense... You have the special teams downing the ball at the one. Great day for special teams, and we'll get to that in a second. But Jacob Martin tackles Kyler Murray for a safety. It's 2 nothing Texans in the third inning, and like the the Astros are trying to get off to a, a quick start that way. Uh, but then uh, on the offensive possession, they're held to a fair barren field goal because guess what? Garen Christian, illegal formation penalty, stops the drive and so it's five to nothing but it could be more penalty 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 stopping drives yeah hey five to nothing you see at that point i was thinking wait you know the astros won five to nothing maybe this is good for the texans no of course not they're the texans never mind 14 play 75 yard drive tyler murray to nuke hopkins oh that guy remember him so it's seven to five cardinals but then uh on the offensive possession mills sacked and fumbles Tight end Anthony O'Claire whiffs on his defender. Somebody somewhere on the offensive line or the tight ends or whatever, they're going to screw something up, it, whether it's a penalty or whether it's not blocking. This is pathetic. This reminds me, Stephen, of David Carr-type protection right now. Yeah, and I think you even tweeted, you know, why doesn't uh, Davis Mills grow some hair, you know, get that get that beard thing going, and uh, he'd probably look like David Carr, unfortunately. We don't want that because, man, David Carr got beat up. And, you know, it, and again, the Cardinals, I mean, they didn't, they weren't world beaters in the first half. You know, the, the Texans' play calling was, wasn't great, but, you know, then they had the taunting penalty they didn't couldn't take advantage of, and then Mills coughs it up. So once again, I say it so many times, good teams take advantage of mistakes. Texans aren't a good team. Then the defense starts to give way. Murray to Aggie Christian Kirk after a 49-yard drive, five-yard touchdown pass. So the Aggie, remember him, Christian Kirk, gets it done. It's 14-5 Cardinals. The Texans offensively three and out. Max Sharping holding penalty, shuts down the drive. Another penalty, another gun, holster, Barney Fife shooting yourself in the foot. Well, let me go back to that defensive uh, stand or uh, defensive possession when the Cardinals scored and made it 14 to five. It was off the turnover. And guess what? The Cardinals lead the league in points on turnovers. 62, Robert, 62. That's most in the NFL. So, yep, they took advantage of that Texans turnover and it was off to the races from that point on in the game. Texans defense not getting turnovers like they were earlier in the year either. And no. we'll get to that um, on the defense. The Texans' next possession, eight-play, 61-yard drive. Uh, Prater with a 31-yard field goal for the Cardinals, 17-5 to at halftime. Let's go to the second half, and Garen Christian again 
shoots the Texans in the foot with a penalty that shuts down the first drive. Are you sounding like a broken record, Robert? Are you, are you sure you're not playing this thing back and just you know playing the same loop over and over again? That leads to an 88-yard drive, Murray, to Zach Ertz, 47 yards, and it's 24 to 5. The Texans offense, three and out, yada, yada, yada. But Lonnie Johnson comes back with an interception on a bad throw by Kyler Murray, but... Hey, Lonnie keeps being in the right place at the right time. Three interceptions this year. Yeah, I mean, he talk about being the only bright spot really in the secondary, Robert. I mean, he's definitely been Lonnie on the spot, not Johnny on the spot. Lonnie on the spot nice. several times this season. Nice. Yeah, that's good. Um, so that leads to nothing because Davis Mills with a penalty of his own on third and one at midfield before the snap kills that drive. Then it's a three and out uh, on defense. Grenard with the sack. Grenard keeps doing some good things. I mean, if we're looking for guys that are doing stuff, Amenahu, Grenard, they're doing a nice job on the defensive front overall. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because, look, the Texans are not losing these games because of the defensive line. Certainly not this game. They're getting pressure. They're getting sacks. I mean, that's the second straight game that Grenard has had multiple sacks. He's had two in the last well, two each in the last two games. I think he has six for the season. You know, Jacob Martin, you know, he knocked down a pass. Grenard knocked down one. So the defensive line is getting penetration, Robert. It's the secondary. It's the secondary. I mean, you can't say enough about the way the Texans' defensive line has played, especially in this game. Yeah, and, and also, I, I can't put any of this on the defense because they, they can't just hold teams forever. You have to get something going on offense, and the Texans have these really short possessions. You can't rest if you're on defense. I think Lovey's getting the most out of what he's got. Um, yeah, that, that that's where you're at with, with this team. And then, you know, the next drive offensively, you know, again, shooting themselves in the foot. And this is this time it's a guy that, you know, has been really good for the Texans. Brandon Cooks drops a fourth and five that should have been caught for a first down. That leads to a James Conner touchdown. It's 31 to five. And that's pretty much the ball game right there. Um, you, you know, Stephen, this is the same stuff over and over again. And at some point, David Culley, you got to get these guys to stop committing stupid penalties over and over and over again. I mean, Brandon Cooks, you know, that's not something you expect to have. And Davis Mills with the penalty on third and one moving before the snap. So, so that's not, I, I'd hate to put stuff on Davis Mills when it's these other guys that are doing most of this stuff. And, you know, how can you do the same thing week in a week out? I mean, how do you get, make the same mistakes week in and week out? It just gets old. Well, and you know, Christian, you talked about one of the penalties there. There were several penalties the Texans had that were illegal formation, which basically means you're moving a little bit before the snap. Christian did that one time. And of course you mentioned Mills, but you know, they've had some of those penalties in the last few weeks. Robert, I mean, Coley says it every week. You hear him yelling about it in the press conferences and post-game interviews and things of that nature. Well, I, I, you know, either he's not yelling loud enough or he's yelling too loud and everybody's tuning him out because it's just not happening. And, you know, and look, I'm not trying to compare here, obviously. So bear with me. But when I look at the Cardinals offense, yes, they're loaded with weapons. But I'll tell you what else I noticed, Robert, is that they... They have everything prepared. They are so prepared. They do the no huddle quite a bit during the game. And I still say that the Texans need to do more of that with Davis Mills. I hardly saw any of it with them today. The, you know, the, the Cardinals, and, and in fact, just to reemphasize the point, in the first couple of plays when the game started, DeAndre Hopkins wasn't even in the huddle. You know why? Because he already knew what the plays were. 
you know, and obviously that comes with experience as far as Davis Mills is concerned, but that's the difference. You know, the Texans on offense just don't click. And until they do, they're not going to figure it out. That's just plain and simple. How about we stop running screenplays because we're terrible at it. We've been terrible at it as a franchise for 20 years. I'm tired of watching the Texans have screenplays that are blown up at the line of scrimmage. They can't even get it sometimes to the guy that they're throwing the ball to. They're stopped, you know, in the backfield or two yards down the field. Even on a, a, a th- second or third and long, you would think, okay, this might be a position where they can get something done on a screen pass, but they, they don't know how to run screens. They run about the wrong time. The other team knows what's coming. Whatever it is, it's never working. Yeah, and that's a, that's a to me, that's a play-calling issue right there. So uh, that's something, too. I think the play-calling was a bit questionable. I know, it, you know, in one drive when Mills coughed it up, I was like, what are they doing? It's just that they're not being creative at all like they were earlier in the season. Yeah, I just I feel like I'm just a whining, griping. But what else are you gonna do with this team? I mean, I don't know. What yeah, to do. when you're when you've only won one game, you know, all year long, it it does. You know, what else are you gonna do? You try to look for positives, obviously, and there were some of them, as we said. That you know, the defensive line certainly played. Hey, you got to give it to uh, Johnston, the punter. You know, he did a good job putting a couple of punts, especially the one that was what 69 yards that pinned the Cardinals back inside their four yard line. So. You know, we'll we'll stretch and grab and scratch for whatever pauses we can get out of this game, Robert. Also, in special teams, you got to put Desmond King as a positive because his first two punt returns for 14 and 20 yards were both more than Andre Roberts' season high in his six games with the Texans. He had another one later in the game that was pretty good, too. I mean, this should have happened long ago. You and I kept beating this drum and finally they got rid of Andre Roberts and they put Desmond King back there and look what happened. Well, and I said earlier in the season, why aren't they using him more? Because they did talk about that. I think during training camp that they're going to try to give him more looks on returns. I know he's playing defense and that, you know, of course that does make a difference, but look, if he's your guy, put him back there and at least, you know, it's only one game, but he certainly looked better than what the Texans had been getting with that. All right. I'm going to ask you the toughest question of the whole podcast. Who's your Texans <laughs> offensive MVP for this game? <laughs> oh, yeah, that is a tough question. I mean, I'm looking down the list, man. Um, Kaimi Fairbairn, he, he got the points on the board. Maybe it should be him. There you go. Maybe Jacob Martin because he got a safety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jacob Martin. He helped the offense out with the points anyway. Defensive MVP for you? Who do you got? This this might be a little bit more interesting. I don't know. Um, let's look at some of the numbers. Uh, you got Lonnie Johnson. Not just the, the interception, but a pass defensed. Uh, he had nine tackles, six solo. Maybe he's at Christian Kirksey, eight tackles, four solo. Uh, we talked about a couple of sacks by some different guys. I mean, Malik Collins should have two sacks. And, you know, I, I don't understand. Like I said, I don't understand this idea that you're supposed to be able to know when the quarterback's going to jump out of the way at the last second, where to put your arms. It, that's just stupid. Yeah, that is a bit tougher. I mean, I, I guess I'm going to go with the safe pick in Grenard. I just, I like the looks of him, the way he's playing. He's all over the place and uh, getting the sacks and the penetration. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and take Grenard as, as my defensive MVP. Two sacks for Grenard, if we didn't mention it, but also two tackles for loss. Yeah, I think you're right there. And he had four, four tackles total, three solo. So there you go. Uh, special teams, you might want to give an MVP to either Desmond King or Cam. I would say Cam gets your MVP because those those punts were, were huge. He did what his his job was. Yeah, and you know, the, the punter is kind of the, the guy that gets lost in the shuffle, especially when you lose, you get blown out. You know, it's like, well, what is the punter? What, what does it matter? Well, as I mentioned, that 69-yard punt, but he had another one that pinned them back too deep in their territory. So he'd be my special teams MVP. 
I'm going to save the Rockets conversation for maybe later in the week, maybe part of our Astros postseason game uh, specials, but uh, a nice win against Oklahoma City. But Oklahoma City, let me just tell you, they stink. And we'll we'll get to maybe where they're at after a, a couple more games this week. But college football, Longhorns with the bye week. Aggies played South Carolina, which turned out to be kind of a bye week for them. So that leaves us with the Cougs. Stephen, they were up 14 against ECU, 9.45 left in the fourth quarter. Then an implosion. Witherspoon misses a field goal. ECU goes down the field in a heartbeat to score. The Cougs immediately fumble. ECU scores quickly. Then Witherspoon misses his second field goal of the quarter. Not easy ones, though. These are a 49 and a 47-yarder. Luckily for U of H, though, they got it done in overtime. McCaskill, 25-yard touchdown run on the first offensive play. And then they force a fumble the second play on defense. They survive a near disaster. But the good news is after you survive a disaster, you're in position because they host undefeated SMU this coming Saturday night, two undefeated teams in conference. Ooh, yeah, that should be an interesting game, Robert. But but I think it what you were talking about kind of emphasizes what I said last week about the Cougars. Yeah, they've only lost one game, but they really haven't played a tough schedule other than Texas Tech. I mean, SMU by far is going to be the test for them. And I'm just not convinced that this team would be able to knock off a team like SMU. Do I hope they do? Well, absolutely. But just showing, you know, what they do in the in the consistency that they just haven't seemed to develop. I mean, East Carolina is not a good team. They they should have put them away rather handily. Although I will say, you know, we're talking about return games, but before the Texans game today, I was saying, hey, can we borrow Marcus Jones? What was that? A 98-yard return, man. Pretty good stuff. That's what the Texans need in their return game. I think that's his seventh return for a touchdown in his U of H career at this point. Yeah, and he's got three this year, I believe. He has three. uh, I think two were punts, and one was uh, the the kickoff return. So, uh, yeah, they definitely got the uh, special teams thing down, the return game down. But the offense, yeah, it, it stops and starts and sputters. I do like the looks of McCaskill, though. Really excited about him. The implosion is about the players. This was not a coaching thing because, look, they were in position to finish him off if Witherspoon hits that first field goal. He misses it. Then they have the fumble, which was just a bad deal there. That That's not a coaching problem. you got to hold on to the ball. You guys know that. One thing that they were doing in this game that they need to stop doing is I, I want to say they had five penalties where they were in the neutral zone or whatever they call that in college football now, but they basically had five pre-snap penalties on defense uh, because they weren't on sides. And, and that that's something that they need to correct. And, and that, you know, if we're going to blame Cully on that, we got to blame Holgerson for, for not yeah. getting those guys to be a little bit more disciplined on defense. Yeah. They're, they're clearly undisciplined, just a little too excited trying to get, you know, get the edge, get the advantage, but those are the things that will come back to bite you in a game like that. You know, fortunately, they were able to win it in overtime. And, you know, man, would I, I must admit, Robert, I did not see the game. So I, I and I wouldn't I didn't stay up until midnight <laughs> watching that. So because it started what time did it start? Three o'clock? Well, it was one of those games that had a lightning delay. So it was delayed five right. hours all together. And that's another thing that we have to factor into that. I mean, the the Cougars were not prepared to be going to. 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Maybe they were just tired. Their schedule was off or something like that at the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah. You could see that. I mean, certainly that, that would make sense. So that, that might be part of it when you have a delay like that. 
I mean, goodness, that many hours, you could have played another whole football game and maybe the first half of another one for for all that time. So, yeah, there is that factor to consider. But kind of a strange weekend in college football with that. And, you know, A&M won handily. That wasn't a, a big surprise. But Iowa State coming up with a big win. And so, yeah, that was, that was definitely a crazy Cougars game, though. Hey, yeah, they're winning. I mean, survive in advance. That's what you got to do sometimes in sports. And look, usually at this point of the year recently, we've been saying, when does Houston Cougar basketball start? At least Houston Cougar football has, uh, you know, a, a really good record right now. And, and they're playing good enough football to be in their conference race and, you know, right there at the top and with a chance to do something this week against SMU. Yeah, and guess what, Robert? They're 6-1, and one, so that means they're bowl eligible. So there is that to consider. They are going to go to a bowl game, even if they lose their next four games. They're going somewhere. So, look, I'm, I'm not trying to rag on them, obviously, but the SMU game, as I said, it's going to be a big teller where this team is. And if they can hang with them, even if they lose, then, yeah. I mean, because SMU's loaded. They're, they're obviously having a good season. If the Cougars can hang with them, then I might be convinced this team really is turning a corner. But yeah, six and one, as you said, it's six and one. They're they're doing what they're supposed to do. If you want to bet on the Cougars, if you want to bet on the Texans, probably bet against the Texans, though. If you want to bet on the Astros, reminder that if you're going to do it and you want to spend a little money on college football or the NFL or any sport that you want to, you got to go to our sponsor, BetUS.com. That's the website. It's America's favorite sports book. And when you use it, our code, our promo code, HST125, to get that 125% sign-up bonus on your initial $100 deposit. If you forget, look for the promo code in the show description. It's right there every week for you to help our podcast. Sign up using either the BetUS link on our pinned Twitter post at the top of our page or go to our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net, and click on that BetUS icon. Until next time, until our post-game show, you know what time it is. It's time for Astros in the World Series. Go Strohs! Go Strohs! You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Here come the Astros number